the volume. Hey guys, it's the sessions presented by FanDuel. It's NFL playoff time, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and so, so easy to use. FanDuel has exclusive offers, boosts, and more all month long. And when you win, you get paid real fast. FanDuel's lots of ways to play, like in the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. And you can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. Plus, you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay and try out Same Game Parlay Plus. And really great news for moi, FanDuel is now live in Ohio. Who day, baby? I got bets to make and money to make. So guys, use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia, and Ohio. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, So it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. Will Osprey here on the sessions. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What is the state of your body after that match at Wrestle Kingdom? Oh, I'm all right. I've got a couple scars on my head. Like I've got a, a couple where the turnbuckle like smashed open my head over here and then the, the table as my head was getting put through the table I don't know there must have been like one of those weird tables but like I guess it like splintered off and like I got stabbed in the head and it like made like a huge hole in my head but oh like, my other God. than that like the, the usual <laughs> aches and pains that I normally get but other than that I'm still smiling and still beautiful do you know what I mean so I'm all good what is the like come down like for you after a match like that? I mean, building up to it, all the things that you've been through. And of course, we'll get into some of that stuff. But now that you're in like the, the afterglow of having such a huge match like that at Tokyo Dome, having the crowd in there, what was that feeling like for you? It's real special just because um, for me, it was uh, a lot of hard work, not just from myself, but like everyone on the New Japan roster because uh, the government situation over in Japan doesn't allow cheering and this was the first show that i participated in anyway that had full capacity cheering uh there are twenty six thousand people in there which was like that's a real good one the comparisons was that was kind of like the wrestle kingdom of i think it was like 2000 and 
I want to say like 16. So like that's what they were drawing back then. So like after all the the restrictions and all that, it was it was real nice to have like a full cheering crowd back. It was, it was real special, especially getting to come out to my old music as well. Little special nuggets, like gutted in the result, uh, really am. But like I do feel like we accomplished what we needed to accomplish by getting New Japan back on to where it was. Just because for me, personally, the wrestling never stagnated. The wrestling was always good. But I said it in my promo, I don't know anyone that likes watching clap crowds wrestling at all. I want to be able to hear the people. I want to be able to engage with them. And for three years, I felt like I've been in a prison. So it was really nice to let the doors open and let them all make noise again. Do you ever get like emotional in those moments or are you like so laser focused on what's happening in the match? Or do you like really soak that in from the moment like that music hits and you start to walk out and you get to see everybody again? Uh, A little bit. Like for the last three years, I do feel like I have been on autopilot a little bit. Like even I even remember last year's Wrestle Kingdom and uh, Great O'Khan's like massaging my shoulders just because I'm about to go out. And he goes, how you feeling? And I went, I feel nothing. Because I honestly, it was one of those ones where even though it was the main event of the Tokyo Dome, it wasn't the real thing. It wasn't the full experience. So like getting to walk out there to my music, to be in my own skin again, it was kind of like, it felt like the old me. And to do it on that platform, I felt like for the first time, all the wrestling world's eyes were really on me. It was about delivering. So it was a little bit emotional going in there, but like... I can switch it off the moment the bell rings, eh? Going back to what you just said about not feeling anything during those moments of not feeling like yourself, how much of a mind fuck was that for you to go through that of like, why am I not feeling the way I normally feel pre-match heading into things? It's heartbreaking, but like, I feel like when you laser in on it, like, so for me, I saw it almost as a game where I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to be so good. I'm going to make you make noise. So, like, I, I saw it like that, but then, like, you can only play that game every now and again before it becomes tedious and tiresome. So, like, it is a real, it, it was heartbreaking at points because I really did feel like I was doing my best work that I've ever done. It, it kind of went under the radar because I'm not on national TV, I'm not on weekly TV, and, like, New Japan at one point was the hottest thing going. And when 2019 came in, all of our arenas were sold out. It was the best G1 that we ever done. We performed in Madison Square Garden. Like, it was all systems would go, eh? And then that fucking pandemic came. I, was, I could swear, can't I? Oh, yeah. Let it fly. I would never hinder you. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I, I, I let do it that fly. quite a lot, eh? I, I can't <laughs> help it. I can't help it. I'll just let the producers get the little beat button going if they need to, but no, we're <laughs> good. Like that. <laughs> Ah, it's so great. I feel like it's less offensive with a British accent, so you can you can, yeah, you can get away with a lot so more. many things with a British accent. I noticed that. <laughs> like, you guys don't like the C word. I love saying it. Well, it's funny because before you jumped on, I was kind of like, I was mimicking your, your promo with Kenny at the press conference, and I was like, you little cunt. And by the one of the producers was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, it's, you know, coming out of my mouth, it's like vulgar with you. It's like, it's charming. It's fine. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like with the Brit, like British, <laughs> it's more like a term of endearment. So like, we'll, we'll look at each other every now and again. Oh, you're a good cunt. Like, do you know what I mean? So, but like, 
I do love saying it. It's such a naughty word, eh? Like, it's got a good little impact. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is. It's a good one. Um, so in that promo, um, you were talking about your mental state over the past while leading up to this. How do you feel now? I mean, like restriction wise, it's, it's easing up now. And um, I feel like even though there are still some restrictions going forward, like, so, I mean, what people don't know, I mean, maybe they do, but we've done the, the Tokyo Dome show and to have all that noise and all that noise generating at you. And then the next day we was back in silence again. It was always, just, I always wanted to do like a Q and A. Okay. Who was here yesterday? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Everyone want to put their fucking hand up. It doesn't make sense at all. But like mental wise, like we're not having to do any of the hotel isolations anymore. I feel like New Japan wanted us to like, obviously not talk about it, but like it's the big elephant in the room. Like, how can you not talk about it? All the wrestlers are out of shape and starving and, and like, st- like it's horrible. It was like one of the worst things we ever have to deal with, but we all did it. We all knuckled down because A, we love our company and B, there are fans still to, like for some strange reason, fans still were showing up. So it was an obligation to give them like the best quality product we can physically get. I mean, it got hard. I mean, like, I I didn't do nowhere near the amount of quarantines as some of the other lads had to do. But, like, I, I felt like in that moment, I like, especially sitting there opposite Kenny and having all of my work and all of our work, like, belittled and, like, just because, AEW, look, we all know AEW is, like, the big fish right now, right? It's one of the most incredible promotions going on. But, like, New Japan is still, like, in my opinion, the better wrestling in terms of like in ring action, we're like the best wrestling going, but because we've been in such a, like a pandemic state, it's almost looked down upon. So like, I take great offense to that just because all those lads maximum, you probably have to do like a three hour drive or an hour flight. You probably got a negative COVID test and I had to, had to be sent home or whatnot. But like for us, it was hell. It was like flying over 12 hours. Then you found out that the Russia and Ukraine were having a war. So then that got made into 15 hours. I only got told that when I was in isolation anyway. So then I'm getting told by my mates we might be drafted into war. So now I'm panicking in a, like in a box, like no bigger than this room, like smaller than this room. I'm in the dining room, by the way. Uh, but like you're going nuts and you're, you're literally like going insane. You can't like do anything about it, but you just have to like, take it in with what it is. Like, I even remember, like, I tried to order, order, order a Uber Eats to my room and I had to go downstairs and then they all flipped out. We're like, get back in your room. Get back. And they're like, pointing. Honestly, it was like prison. It was horrible. Oh my God. And that, how long would that be? Like two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Like, some, Ooh. like, it got lessons to 10 days. Like, honestly, like, and I know a lot of people don't want me talking about it, but like, that was, that's such a driving factor for me because, out of all of that, I've endured all of that and I still came to perform for everyone. So for anybody to try like and dare belittle my work, like it's one of those things where like they're cunts, you know what I mean? They, they, they don't they don't need to have an opinion because they've never had to sacrifice that. You you guys did like three hour drives, like bless you, you tried your hardest, cunt. Like fuck you. Do two weeks in a fucking room no bigger than your fucking shoe closet, love. Honestly, that would give me a panic attack. I remember at certain points when like John wanted to go back to Japan and work and obviously that never panned out at any point. But me thinking that too of like, oh my gosh, you've got to take that flight there and then you've got to be in quarantine. And I've been in even in those hotel rooms with him there and they are tiny. Like that's really stressful. I'm not saying it because like Bill and Endor, we all did that. We all made that sacrifice and we all did it. 
but bearing in mind, we did it because we love our company, like we and we love the fans that support New Japan and anyone that like supports we everyone from the gaijins to the the homegrown talent. We all done that. We all made that sacrifice to give you guys a better product. So I hope they appreciate it. I mean, you look at Wrestle Kingdom too. I mean, to think from like everybody from New Japan that was on that show, to have talent from AEW on that show, to have talent from WWE on that show, to having certain unsigned talents being on a show like that. It really felt like the spotlight was directly over New Japan for that. How do you feel like the show was overall? I think we're not getting out of the park personally. I think from from the the first match that opened up the IWGP Junior Tag Titles to to the very last match, I feel like as a cohesive unit, we all kind of made this secret bond to basically say, "Hey, we've got to knock this one out of the park. Like this has got to be a good one." So to everyone on that roster and to everyone on that card, like pat on the back, we all did it. Like thank you so much. And even the guys that weren't on the card, I feel like their praises need to be sung because like there's a lot of guys. Like for example, Shingo wasn't on the main card and he'd done a lot of the the back work during those pandemic shows. So like his praises need to be sung uh, and, and everyone's praises that was on those shows. Like it needs to be sung out loud, but like to everyone that was on that show, like thanks for knocking it out of the park. Hell of a show. I mean, as a fan, I had a blast watching the whole thing and just like the build up to that. We had Rocky on the show not too long ago and even just like picking his brain about it. It's really, really cool. You guys absolutely did knock it out of the park. So Congratulations. Um, okay, so you are regarded as one of the best wrestlers in the world. Some of our favorite wrestlers, favorite opponent. Who is your favorite opponent? Uh, I have to give a cheeky shout out to Shingo. Like Shingo tests me like when it comes to the ring of like trying to find new intricate ways of being able to perform our style of match. I feel like we do have a, a different way of looking at pro wrestling and I always like saying it, but we did a match uh, in May in wrestling Dontaku. And uh, that was one of the most hellacious nights for us because it was like the night before, like all the card was absolutely fine. And then like we were about to get to our match and then there was like a couple COVID breakouts. And this is like brand spanking new, like a couple of wrestlers got COVID. We were all like a little bit, oh shit, we, like are we, everyone okay? So we had to like, defer everyone's brain away from that and just put and uh, me and him went out there for I think it was like 46 minutes something on those lines it was, it was a real long match but it was constantly moving like and, and to do that in silence is is some of the hardest shit I've ever done in my entire life are you just so drained by the end like obviously physically you are but on like the emotional side to not have that adrenaline aspect I guess it was, it was hard as well because that's the one I got injured in so there was a there was a point in May where uh, I, I performed a shooting star press in that match and it, I guess it was like a little bit further than what I usually have but instead of my body hitting like this my body hit kind of there and I kind of scorpions you know what not like I don't know, like a, like a cobra in a weird way, and I felt this like pop go off in my back, and I, I never felt it before. But I injured my back, and I've had an injured neck for ages. So like by the end of that match, I was like proper fucking battered. Then Japan did a, a, a mad national lockdown, so I was just like, you know what? Like for the first time, I'm gonna take the time off and like. I'm going to go and see what these injuries were. You went home with that? Yeah, I went home. And I got it, I got it looked at. I got MRIs and like I was fucked. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So. I feel like that was a really scary time for kind of everybody. I think kind of, I mean, there's always the big buzz around Will Ospreay. But to, I think to hear you being injured like that and nobody really knowing what the extent of it was, it seemed like that was a very big question mark. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll keep like the the actual full extent of the injuries to myself, just because I I don't think it's anyone else's business. But it is one of those ones where like I was so mangled, and I could have gone through with it. Like I could have like done the naughty way of going about it. But for the first time, I kind of was just like, I'm hurt. Like I I need to go home. I need to sort this out. And I sorted it out. And I feel like it's a build upon things where it's like there's a lot of mental pressure on us all right now. There was there was the injuries and there was it was just like it was so bad. But like going in there with Shingo, who like is one of my favorite opponents of like all time, and being able to crush it for 46 minutes, like both battered, both hurt, and just being able to do it in silence. Like I, I do I do have a chip on my shoulder for that one. Like it's, it it makes me proud that match, I'm proud of that match so much. Um, when you think of some of the people that you've not been able to wrestle, and of course, the one that comes to top of mind for me would be somebody like Seth Rollins. Is there anybody less obvious than Seth Rollins that you would like to wrestle? Brian Danielson's a good one, eh? Oh, yes, that is a good one. I ain't touched him yet. I'd like to get in the graps with him, see how good he is. Uh, everyone says he's the best, isn't he? So. They say that. That's what they say. <laughs> uh, everyone, everyone goes, he's really good at this pro wrestling nonsense. So I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it a go. Your time wrestling in AEW, I was reading through the interview that you did um, with Fightful, and you were talking about how your time wrestling in uh, the United States, obviously you had your time at Ring of Honor as well, but that it was a little bit eye-opening to you about things that you needed to learn. What were some of the things that you think that you need to learn? Well, it's just like TV wrestling is so different. Like, it's just like, it's all about like cameras and like finding it. Like, do you know what I mean? I couldn't give a toss about the cameras or anything like that. I just want to go and wrestle for the live audience. I think it's, but like, I had to kind of like put ego to one side and just, cause I, you know, like I, I'm good at this. Like I, I know I'm, I'm good. Right. But like, I walked in there, I went, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. Like, do you know what I mean? So I need someone to help me out and navigate the waters. And like, it was, it was an incredible learning experience. It was one of those things where I, I was so out of my depth, but then when I started swimming, it kind of, okay, I'm starting to understand this now, but I feel like if I, if that became like my week in, week out, I'd understand it a little bit better, yeah, but sure. to be kind of like thrown in there and just go swim, you know, I fucking hell, don't know what to do. It's very stressful. I mean, I can't even imagine from like the wrestling aspect of things, like even from like my small aspect of like what I do when I had to walk out on the stage for the first time with AEW, I was like, wait, I've never walked out on this stage before. Where are all the cameras? Where am I supposed to land? Like in WWE, I knew where all the things were. So it was fine. It was, you know, I knew where all that was. But yeah, first day when you don't really know where you're going, where the marks are, you're trying to hit all that stuff. It can throw you for a hell of a loop. What door did you enter out of? Because they've got signs here. It says good. I came through the baby face door. You went through through baby face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where did you come out of? Of course, bad guy. Everyone hates me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you uh, you see the United Empire ever uh, challenging for those trios titles? To be fair, like the the original holders, uh, Death Triangle, we fucking whooped those boys. So I don't know why we ain't been invited back. Hey, hopefully you do get to come back and we'll get that Brian Danielson match. I feel like there's, yeah, there's probably a couple of really good guys in AEW you get your hands on. There's a shit ton of lads I'd like to do, like uh, Jungle Boy's another one. I feel like I could have a banger with him. I feel like I could have a proper banger with him. Like, there's even weird, like Miro. I'd love to face him. Okay, I never thought of that. Some beefy boys just having at it. I just like battering people, do you know what I mean? I like getting bad. It, like, it's one of those weird things that it wakes me up. Once you realize you take a few punches and you're not made of glass, you realize, all right, like, you can get into the shit. 
can take it. Um, your contract is coming up, is it not? Yeah. Do you have any news on that? No, like the thing is, is like, so my main thing is, is that I'm a, I'm a little bit of a family boy. So like the best thing about New Japan is I can like come do my shit and then go back home. So do you know, like I can go back and forth. I've got a business class now, Renee. Isn't that nice? I get to lay down. <laughs> Stare at people. Get a little pillow, a blanket, a cocktail. Good night. The lady night. came over and went, do you want a mattress softener? I went, oh, go on then. Do you get the pajamas? No, they do give you the pajamas, but like <laughs> I travel in pajamas. I mean, look at Oh, you got the Zubas on. Oh, Lord. I, I go in the airport <laughs> like this. Like, I look like I look like a right cunt. I'm sorry for saying it. But, <laughs> like, but I like traveling. I like being comfy. So, like, my main thing is, is I, I don't mind doing the back and forth because in that way I get to spend time with my family. I'm in, like, a new position in life now where I can I want to be there and just, like, especially with my, my grandparents are getting older, my mum and dad's getting older. So, like, uh, so I, I honestly don't know what's going to happen, but, like, right now is I think the most important thing is, is there's happiness in it. So I'm fairly positive that me and New Japan will work something out, but, like, I, I'm also along the same lines of, like, for the first time, I kind of had a moment of realization that I only dipped my toes into America. I've never really stretched out there. I've had one foot in the door and then the other, everything else has been out. So there is that part of me that is kind of like, well, maybe it is time to change things up. Maybe it's time for me to see what is on the other side, but my heart belongs here. Like this house is because of new Japan, like this, everything that I've ever done, but, Man, like I love that place so much. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough road when it does come up, but it is one of those things where you just have to take uh, things how they go. Well, the good news is that there are some companies here in America that have working relationships with New Japan. So that is a thing of beauty. That's great to not take that off the table. But to play devil's advocate, I feel like there's a big fat paycheck over here for you. You could get a lot of cash. Do you think about that? I mean, I know you love the business and you love what you do, but getting paid is really nice as well. The thing is, I'm getting paid very nice over in New Japan. Like, I mean, like, I'm not like, on I don't know, who's rich? I don't know. Adam Cole, who we use him. I like him. He's a lovely boy. But like, I'm not on Adam Cole money. Do you know what I mean? But like, I'm on like fairly fucking decent money. And it is just like, it's, it's a huge weight off my shoulders, especially like now I've got loads of bills coming in. But like, and I'm in a comfortable position where I can pay that and buy my zoops. So, like, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're in a good position right here. I feel like you've really unlocked some of these things early on in your career of, like, you don't have to have the boatloads of money. It's nice to be home with your family. I feel like that's a good centering point. It's a wonderful centering point. And it's one of those things where, like, I, I just unlocked a code from the Matrix because, like, I mean, I could have been one of those, like, guys from NXT UK and, like, stayed there. And now all of them are jobless, you know what I mean? So it's like, and my heart goes out for all of them. I'm, I'm so glad for them. But like, I lucked out and like, thankfully, like I was able to get over to New Japan. The touring schedule works perfectly for me. And I'm just kind of like, you know, it can't really get better. The only thing that could make it better if it was just once a week. And you know what I mean? It's, that's where I'm at right now. It's just, I, I, I love money. I really do. It's really, really nice, isn't it? <laughs> but it's just one of those ones where like, with New Japan, I kind of get to do whatever the fuck I want. And like every time I get in, every time I get in trouble, I can like just go to Japan, just kind of be like, all right, I'm just going to avoid all this hellfire over here. 
Do you mean that in the sense as well of like your wrestling style? Nobody has to micromanage you there in terms of like what your style is, what your matches look like. And especially promos. I don't think I could cut a promo without saying cunt. <laughs> I mean, oh, that might be hard for you. <laughs> that might be hard. My IQ in wrestling is amazing. My IQ in real life is fucking dog shit, love. We can't have it all. I'm doing my best. I'm trying. I'm. I'm learning to read. I think that that's kind of like a, a good incentive there. Like I'm. I'm doing my best. I've. I've got it good. I've hacked the matrix. I don't need to deal with anyone. And they just kind of just go. All right. Here's the match. Do a good match. And I go. Yes, sir. There's definitely something nice about not adding those like extra stressors into your life. If you don't need them and you're happy with where you're at, you obviously don't need to prove yourself to anybody else. We all know you're fucking great. So when when like that part's not there, like there's a certain point, I think when you're able to just like you're able to pay your bills, you've got a little extra pad in the bank, you can go out to dinner if you feel like it or buy the Zubas should you desire them. There's something nice to just like that part's all nice and fine. You don't need to have like boatloads of cash in the bank. Yeah, there's like a mixture of it. I mean, I, I would like boatloads of cash. I really would. Are you a big spender? Yeah. Oh, God. I'm <laughs> not good. That, that was my New Year's resolution, eh? Like to not spend as much money. You know what kind of scared me the other day? So I'm like getting ready in the morning and my I feel like my like mom brain now, I'm like so compartmentalized by different things. I'm like getting ready and I'm like, have I saved enough money? I start Googling. I'm like, how much money should you have saved by the time you're 40? And it said you should have three times your salary saved in the bank by the time you're 40. I was like, oh, that's a lot of money. I fucking done one bit of that. <laughs> that's really scary. I know. You like start to think about these things, but what do you what do you spend your money on? What's like your guilty like purchases? I like tracksuits. I really like wearing my tracksuits. I think like I like being comfy. I can't help it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> video, like, I like playing video games quite a lot. Like, uh, but like, all right. So I haven't been playing it right now just because like, I like playing video games when I'm on the road, but then I haven't been on the road for a while. But so I've just, I've somehow been spending money though. I don't know what, I'll have to get my bank statement say to tell you what I spend my money on. But like, uh, just, it just happens, doesn't it? I feel like I'm the, I'm the type of guy as well where I take all my friends out for dinner and I'll pay for it. Like just. I'm, I'm that type of cunt. I need to stop doing it. I'm bad with like the Amazon purchases because we all live in that world. It's just like you click and it's at your house. I need this thing. I should have it. Click it. It's going to be at the house tomorrow. Great. Like that's so bad. I've got a giant whiteboard coming tomorrow. <laughs> I'm only going to need it for one day. <laughs> Hey, you got it now. And that's the problem, dude. I feel like my house is inundated with all this crap that I don't need. I've got like spare Christmas lights at my feet right now. It's all a bit of a shit show. No, the missus keeps the place quite nice, actually. She keeps it really tidy. She has a go at me if I leave anything on the on the floor. Tell her to come to my house. Come yell at my husband. Shit. Help me out a little bit. Um, are you a perfectionist when it comes to your matches? I don't know. Like, there's a part of me says yes, because like if someone tells me like a uh, like a stupid idea, I'm not gonna go along with it. But in the in the same sense, like I, I don't know, I just it just it just happens. Like I don't put I, I do think about it. Trust me, I, I do think. But like in the same sense, just like I feel like sometimes you can get away with something if you can sell it correctly or if you can do this correctly or, or whatever. It's just there's parts of me that say I'm a perfectionist, but a lot of part of me is that like I'm very laid back and very open to like whatever anyone really wants to do. Are we ever going to see you wrestle Seth Rollins? What's the deal with Seth? I would love to do it because I, I mean, I liked Seth before he was Seth. I liked him when he was Tyler Black. Like, do you know what I mean? I used to think he's a good wrestler in Ring of Honor. 
And I think he's, I think he still is a good wrestler. So if there was a chance of making it work, I mean, I'd absolutely love to make it work. It is just, we are bound by contractual obligations that say that we can't do it. But I don't know. I feel like the, the, the doors are slowly opening to like other exports and maybe things can happen here and there. But, you know, I don't know. It's a nice little cross breeze happening. I feel like the doors are opening just a little bit. A little bit, you know, like someone opened the window. Do you know what I mean? But not the good <laughs> yeah. window, like that little, that little small. Bar There's a screen you. on it still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just painting the red fruit. I come in. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. I mean, you guys were definitely lighting it up on Twitter for some time, and it was. You've had some very interesting Twitter exchanges in general. I feel like you and Randy got into it. Oh, <laughs> oh let's not bring up the social media. <laughs> Sorry, Do you, are you like a regretful tweeter? Do you yes. tweet things and you're like, oh my God, why? I actually done a lot of soul searching with this because I feel like I was a, an absolute cunt when it comes to this thing. Uh, I feel like I don't think about what I write. I'm dyslexic as fuck. I don't really understand it. Like I, I'm being on the spectrum for fucking autism and like, I got mad ADHD. So like, I don't think about shit. I just do it and then like, and I feel like I've used it as a diary for so long and like I'm not realizing that I'm tweeting to like fucking hundreds of thousands of people. I'll be honest with you. I feel like I've let myself down and I've let down anyone that's ever wanted to be like a firm supporter of me. I do feel like an absolute twat sometimes when I read back some of my old stuff. But like, I think the best thing what I can do right now is everything that I've ever done when it comes to social media and someone's told me that I fucked up. I put my hands up all the time and I say, hey, like, I am fucking sorry. I, I came to a realisation when I went, no one gives a fuck about your opinion. But no one cares about my opinion, so why the fuck am I even tweeting it? So I'm at that point now where like, I'm really trying hard to, like, educate myself and be more mindful towards like, other people. And, like, I've, I've gone above and beyond the line of duty to, like, make amends with people that I've fallen out with and shit like that. So, like... Because I, I don't feel like I'm an, I'm an arsehole. Like, I can admit, right, I'm a cunt, but I'm a nice cunt. You're a cunt in, like, the endearing sense. In the endearing sense, yeah. I'm just, I'm trying my best to, like, not just woe back on it, but just, like, try and really, like, mend fences. I want to take a little rewind to something that you said. Talking about being dyslexic, perhaps on the spectrum, with autism, ADHD. Are these all actual diagnoses for you? Yeah, so I got diagnosed with ADHD in like 2019 because uh, I felt like there was something wrong with me. I was dyslexic after I finished school. Like I finished school and I like I essentially failed everything. The only things I passed was drama and PE. So like English, math, science, and like all the things that you need to get to college, I failed at. So like I had to just go to work. And like uh, I feel like I got to a point where like, so then I wanted to try and get into college and then I went through something and I, f I feel like the term used was like Erlen syndrome, which is, they said it's like, a, a, I, I can't remember what it was, but she said it's just like a form of dyslexia. You can't read very well. You're not very good at writing. And I'm not like, I can't like the, the words have got to be fucking huge for me to read it. Um, so like, I've always struggled with that. So sometimes I'll tweet something and like, I haven't even read it properly. So then there's a bunch of fucking spelling mistakes. And like, it's, it's proper embarrassing, isn't it? As like a grown ass man, I've got a mortgage somehow. And like fucking, like I can't even read and write. But like um, the ADHD stuff came about in 2019, late. Uh, I'd have called my doctor, I wasn't feeling good. I got sent over some tests and then like found out what it all was. And then it was, it was kind of a little bit like, I don't want it to ever be an excuse, 
But it was almost just like, I feel like that's why you've got yourself in so much trouble is because you've not thought about the repercussions. You've just done it. And I feel like, you know, I'm growing up now. I'm nearly 30, so I've got to grow up sometime soon. But the, the autism thing, right, I went through it like a doctor thing when I was, oh, fuck, when was that? I think it was actually at the start of 2020. And that, yeah, it was. And then the pandemic kicked in. And then I've never rode back since. So like I've always, I've always tried, but like I've always tried, but like I, I do feel like I'm on the spectrum, but like I haven't had that like boom guaranteed. Like it's just one of those ones where like it's a little bit like I don't know. Like the, the other two, like yeah, got diagnosed. The other one, like I've still yet to have answers for. But the waiting list, especially in England, is fucking long, bruv. It's like that in Canada too. It's brutal. It takes ages to get in anywhere. I don't see it now, like, even if I did have it, I don't see it as, like, a detriment. I still always see it as, like, a superpower. All, all of us autistic kids, we're so much better than the regular normal people. Like, we just, we can fucking lock into shit. We can just do it. To all my autism kids out there, we're fucking, we're top. Mark Anthony K. Do we do full Mark Anthony all the time? Is it just Mark? Is it M.A.? What do we do? Well, I think my mom will probably listen to this interview. So I think we should probably do Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony. Perfect. I would never offend your mother because she seems like an absolute boss. And we're going to be getting into her in just a moment. Um, But first things first, as I'm doing my research for this interview, Ajax Soccer Club, excuse me, that's where I grew up. No way. Yes. I grew up in Ajax. I know. I also like I didn't really realize that like the Ajax soccer club is like such a thing like Wexford. I mean, obviously, you know, you're you're from Toronto. You dabble in all of those like GTA areas. But yeah, Ajax soccer. What was that experience like going out all the way uh, 401 East, baby? Yeah, it was uh, definitely a trek for a you know a young <laughs> high school kid after always playing closer to home. But uh, it was it was cool. Like uh, Ajax had a good, really good uh, program. They kind of I think hoarded the best talent of players in my age group. So it was only right to try and move out there um, to play at that level and at that time. But um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I, I didn't hang out much over there. Um, I had a teammate of mine who actually lived in Pickering, which is just a little west, right? And he would pick me up. Like, I would meet him literally at the border of, like, Scarborough and Pickering. And they would pick me up and then drive me to training, drop me back there, take the TTC all the way back to, like, Midtown Toronto. Okay, so you're in high school doing this. That really is a haul. Like, I know in high school, you know what you're doing. And you're, like, you know, somewhat of an almost functioning adult. But still, to get from Scarborough all the way out to Ajax, kind of, like, to your own device, that's... That's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. And I guess like, I don't know. I just was blinded by the fact that I enjoyed, you know, playing soccer so much. So I was like willing to do the trek. My mom taught me really well the T system at a young age. So I was like a pro. I was a pro. I knew exactly what bus to take there, when to get it. Uh, and I think that's where like my independency kind of took shape. So I, I enjoyed that that time in my life for sure. Did you ever have any moments, though? Because I've got to imagine while going to school, playing soccer, doing all these different things, did you ever like fall asleep on the TTC and like miss your stop and end up somewhere you weren't supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sure it happened. I was a very alert kid. Just the way my mom taught me, like I was hyper aware of everything around me. So I'm sure it definitely happened. Maybe like on the TTC train, I might have fell asleep. 
but on the buses where people are constantly coming on and coming off, I was like so hyper aware. So, um, but yeah, it was definitely, uh, it, it was weird. I would get home at like maybe, you know, like just before midnight. Oh my and like, gosh. I would still finish my homework and then go to school in the morning. And I was, I'm really proud of that little kid because I think of schoolwork now and I'm like, I don't want to even think about it or do it. So he, he definitely had it down pat. You know, learning a little bit more of your story and of your background and learning about your mom and knowing that she was going to school and working multiple jobs and raising you and your twin brothers. Were you aware of all of the work that she was doing? Like, like how much of that do you even take in at that age? Or you just kind of take it for granted. I think I took it for granted, you know, and I think that's why um, I'm so passionate about giving back to my mom and really making that a part of my brand now as I move forward in my life, because my mom did a really good job of sheltering me from the difficulties she had to go through. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I assumed work was all fun and games, you know, (laughs) adults go to work. It's fun. It's like kids going to school, not knowing that my mom's working two jobs and me and my brother's at like after school programs because she can't pick me up until 630. So yeah, it wasn't until I got older and I I went to college, I left the house, and then I started to realize what real life kind of is like for an adult. And I was like, wow, like I need to really give a lot of thanks and gratitude to my mom for what she's done. So it definitely hit me later on in life. And I was I was blind to it when I was younger. It's really crazy to like I have a daughter now, she's a year and a half. And now for me, like, you know, to a similar point, but like raised by like, you know, essentially a single mom. My dad was around, but I was with my mom most of the time for her to work multiple jobs. We played sports like I was out doing a million different things. I had no idea the things that she was going through while like taking us camping and taking us on little trips and like doing stuff like I don't know how the hell she managed to pull that off. So like hats off to the moms. Yes. Hats and dads. Off to the moms. Dads do and it parents, too. But like yeah, single parents. Yeah. Yes. Parents in general. Hats off to you all. Um, OK, so your love of soccer. You didn't actually start playing soccer until you're about nine years old, right? Yes, correct. I mean, I don't want to say that's late. You're nine. You're still a child. But a lot of kids really start like four, five, six, really young. Um, what was that first moment of putting on those cleats or those boots and stepping out onto the pitch? I was eight years old. I think it was grade three at the time. Um, and I would just play soccer in the schoolyard. My school at the time, young in Davisville, didn't even have grass it was just pavement. So every day I look at my legs now before I wrote training and I see all the scars from that. But, um, you know, it was one of my classmates, his father was an assistant coach for Wexford. And he reached out to my mom and said, Hey, like Mark Anthony's a really good player. Like you should come join the team. And I had no idea how it worked. You know, I didn't know how organized sports worked. I would just play in recess. And that was my world cup. Like by yourself. No, no, with my with my classmates and stuff. Maybe sometimes they didn't want to play with me because I was too competitive. But yeah, so I remember going to my first organized practice. It was like a tryout kind of thing. And it just took off from there for me. And I was like, I never not want to be in a situation where I could compete and it's organized. And yeah, I made the team. And from there on, it was just like a blur. I just never remember my life being any different. I'd always go to training like twice a week and always get picked up or I'd bike to my friend's house and they would drive me. Um, but yeah, I started late, but it, it, it didn't really hinder me in any way. Like it was, I think it was all brewing up from 
from four to nine years old. And then finally, I just let it all out once I was able to get out of team. Especially like that competitive side of you. Are you competitive about other things as well? I've grown to give up that side of it, uh, especially with my wife now. Like she's very competitive. So I'm like, you know, I have soccer to fulfill that for for, for me. So I, I need to not be like that all the time in the house because I don't think it would be great. What do you guys compete over? What are like the husband wife competition? <laughs> who cooks better? Who cleans better? Who drives better? Driving better is a, that is a huge competition. I think for any anyone in the marriage or relationship. Uh, and then you have ten examples of how oh this person God. doesn't drive well, and they have examples of you. So I've learned to to dance my competitiveness. That's not around um, soccer. <laughs> it's so funny you say that. So the other week, my husband and I were out and he's an athlete as well. And he gets competitive about certain things. But I, I like saw a meme the other day. It was like marriage is basically your wife going <gasps> gasping every time your husband's driving and then him just continually getting annoyed. But we were driving and it was the Cincinnati Bengals were playing. So there was like tailgating happening everywhere. And we're in this like tiny little outdoor parking spot. And we just couldn't get out. We, there was no way to get out. People had the tailgates down on their trucks and people are grilling. So the guy actually like moved his truck to like try to let us out. My husband, there was no way he was getting the truck out. So I was like, can I get in there and try it? And he was like, yeah, and he did it. But as, as soon as because I got the car out and I was like, oh, am I going to hear about this later? Did I just like completely emasculate in front of all these people? Luckily, he didn't care. Thank God. Thank God. But sometimes that competitive streak can definitely take over at home. I think it goes both ways. Like, it, like you know, like my wife is trying to put a bed together because we just moved into our new place in Toronto. We had this bed in storage for a couple of years because we didn't need it when we were in Denver. And she's at home trying to be Bob the Builder, <laughs> doing it by herself. And I'm like, hey, babe, did you look online to like see if they have like a manual where you can follow it and she's like oh no i i've looked everywhere I, I i've looked for 20 minutes so i'm like okay just send me like the company name i'll have a look 30 seconds i find the manual i send it to her you know <laughs> and i know it's kind of like burning inside her where she's like how, how do i look for 20 minutes and it goes the same way where like yes i'm struggling with something and she'll be like oh let me have a try and the part of me is like oh if i give it to her she gets it like it's gonna burn <laughs> So, yeah, it goes both ways. Uh, it's so great. Um, okay, so side note, because you guys just bought a, you bought a house in Toronto? Or a well, lot, we're renting. Uh, we're renting. Are yeah. you renting? Okay. Yeah. What is it like being, I mean, obviously you're an athlete. You're making good money, obviously. But like Toronto is such a gnarly city to be in price-wise. What is it like being an athlete and having to live in a city that is so damn expensive? It's not enjoyable. It makes it feel like all your hard work to get to where you were in your career financially means nothing. And I'm from Toronto, right? So I understood that it was always going to be a city that was going to grow in that market. But like the prices are absurd. And when I see the stats of like how much, you know, the average household has to save to pay for a, a mortgage and all, and I'm like, we are so lucky and we still feel like strangled a little bit. So it's unfortunate. I think we're going to do all our real estate stuff in like the US, just better market, California. We like California, but yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Not that California is cheap, but Toronto is can be really brutal. That's how you know how expensive Toronto is. If the place I want to put my money in is California. So it tells you a little bit. 
It's really, I was talking to um, Soraya Tinker. She's a female hockey player in Toronto. And she was saying the same thing of like, when you are an athlete and like, especially a female athlete who are not making nearly as much money sometimes as what like some male athletes are making. And you're living in this like big metropolis city where you want to be because that's like where the city is and where the fans are and all that. But it sometimes can just like put you in such a chokehold trying to like live and get ahead and, and all of those things. It can be really scary. But on the plus side... Toronto, as a sports-centric city, as you know, growing up there, living there and playing for, for, the, for the soccer team out there. What is it like having that fan base being in Toronto? No, it's good. Um, again, like I started my soccer journey as like I was in grade seven, I think, when TFC first became a team. And I didn't really participate in a lot of the Toronto FC things because they weren't good at the time, you know. Um, and there was just European football. You wanted to focus more on that. You didn't really want to watch MLS games. But um, coming back now to the city after seeing the growth, it's really cool. Like people love Toronto FC. And I have to get used to figuring out how to move through the city um, quietly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because it is a very busy city that people will recognize you, but the fans, I played in Colorado and I, I, I love Denver as a city. It's a beautiful place, but fans make your experience so much better. You know, you feel more alive. You feel like you're actually a part of something and that's what Toronto gives you. And you know that with all the other sports teams, like you look at the Leafs, yeah, like the Leafs have fallen every time in the same place. And their fans are loyal. Rabid. Loyal to the death. Rabid. You know what I'm I saying? Know, to a fault. So to a fault. So it's good that TFC is getting that way because soccer is growing. And for us as soccer players, you know, growing up, it was always like soccer is not the sport of choice. But now to see my city embrace it, um, it feels it feels really good. What team did you watch growing up? I watched Manchester United growing up. Okay. okay. In England, yeah. Yeah, my mom got me into that. So that's my favorite team. So I still, you know, big European football kind of guy. And now it's different because I have teammates, national teammates who play in these leagues and stuff. So it's like, oh my God, they're playing against like my fanboy club. <laughs> but, um, but MLS has grown immensely. So uh, it's a little different now because I play in the league. I don't really like watch it as a fan, but it's a different, it's a different time right now for MLS, which is good. What about your time in Colorado to to be playing out there, playing in that altitude? What the hell does that do to you? Like, I can imagine any athlete out there, but especially the cardio that you guys do. The, oh, my. What an advantage to like living there, having that home turf advantage. I mean, I feel like there's nothing else. No other city like that. Yeah. Oh, it definitely is an advantage once you get through it yourself. I remember my first couple of days there, just I was staying at a friend's house, uh, a teammate's house until I found a place and just walking up the stairs from the basement, like you get lightheaded out of breath. <laughs> I was like, what is this place? Like, is this, and they're telling me, oh yeah, you got to hydrate when you get here because there's altitude sickness. And I just couldn't understand it for a while. I remember my first training session, I thought my heart was going to literally fall out of me. Um, but you're right. It is a, a massive advantage because I remember when we play teams, like they would die by like the 60th minute, you know, and you take advantage of that. So I always say, I think that's one of the biggest home field advantages in our league is in Colorado, but it was nice. Colorado is a beautiful place. It is. It's very beautiful. Like beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And everyone is so nice and kind. And 
everyone has dogs, you know, <laughs> it's a very dog friendly <laughs> <Yeah>. place. <laughs> um, and people love the outdoors. Like the parks are always full, like a summer day in Colorado. There's not many other places in the States that I would rather be. So it was, it was a very enjoyable experience. It's so, so nice there. It's funny. We were just there three weeks ago, maybe. Um, there was like a really gnarly snowstorm, but I had not been to Denver in some time, but yeah, same thing. We're there. I work for a wrestling company. Um, so we were out there and yeah, there's signs everywhere. Hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Like my husband's a wrestler and like, I don't think he wrestled that night and he was like always happy to be like, I'll just go out there and cut a promo and just talk. I don't need to wrestle in this altitude. Cause then you have a cocktail in that, in that altitude. Oh, my oh gosh. look out. Yeah. That'll yeah. get you. That's not a good uh, thing to put no. together. That's for bad sure. Bad combo. Bad, bad <laughs> combo. Um, okay, so World Cup. First World Cup appearance for Canada since 1986. You were not even born yet. Just walk me through this. Walk me through, like, you know, realizing that you guys were making it to the World Cup, what that whole experience was like, going to Qatar, all of it. First off, yeah, amazing experience. Sometimes I don't have words to really capture the moment properly, but we knew it was going to be a long journey to get there we had to play 21 games to qualify and it started right after covid i think it was the beginning of 2021 but that was like our journey to get there once we got to the final stage we were so confident we were going to make the world cup like not one day did we doubt our abilities and as the qualifying went on and there was only like maybe five games left and we were sitting top of the table it started to really sit in our minds that wow like we're going to do it. Like we're going to get to a world cup. And on, I think it was in March of last year when we qualified, that was probably like the biggest moment I think for all of us, because it was like a sigh of relief that like this thing that has been looming over our heads for so long, even before we were born is like evaporated. It's gone. You're going to see Canada's flag at a world cup. We were just on cloud nine and <laughs> it's just funny how it works as an athlete. Like you sometimes don't take a moment to, you know, the saying like stop and smell the roses because like, you're like, yeah, like we made it. We're excited. We're happy. Our family's here. But then it's like, oh my God, like we have to like now work really hard to make the roster. So that was my mindset. It was like, yeah, we got Canada the world cup. I did it with my brothers. It's amazing. Then I'm like, oh my God, like I have six months in this year to like make sure when the roster is announced in November, I'm on that roster because then I'm thinking like, I feel this great emotion now, but then I want to feel this great emotion again in six, seven months. And it's scary as an athlete. You're just thinking as the next thing, like, all right, what's the next task? What's the next challenge? So um, that's like the real part that I don't think people will understand. You know? That's very stressful. I mean, what are the conversations you guys are having amongst each other and some of the guys whose name isn't called? Like what? what? There's so much work put into that. And it's so it's high stress, high anxiety. Like I I've never seen that many grown men anxious on a daily basis because they knew that one little injury could stop you from going to a World Cup. A bad performance could lead to another bad performance. It's like everything was heightened for that year. And yeah, you're right. Like there are guys who were with us on the journey that didn't make the roster. And that's like your biggest fear. You know, I feel for those guys and they were, they were, they were with us, you know, in spirit. 
But um, yeah, once you get to the World Cup, oh, it's, then it's, it's on like Donkey Kong. Oh, Let's go! Yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing. You have nothing to lose. You're like you're like a wild cat getting ready to get out of a cage, right? Because you know there's expectations, but you can't really fail because everyone is excited you're there. So um, that was a cool experience to to train really hard for those. 12 to 13 days trying to do as much as you can to get fit and get ready for these games. But then also like enjoy the moment of like seeing these stadiums, massive stadiums. And the cool thing is you see them when they're empty the day before, and then you see them the next day when they're packed. How crazy is that moment to be able to go into a stadium and like, it really is like I've been able to experience that in certain scenarios as well. And to be able to walk in and just kind of see like, before the energy is now pumped into this building, before it's game time, before the clock starts ticking down, like what were those moments like for you to be able to see both sides of that? Yeah, I think for me, it was really important to have that moment to myself in an empty stadium, just because it kind of brings everything back down to earth. And it's like, it's just a stadium that's surrounded by a soccer field. Like you're walking on it like a normal day. There's stands, there's a goal. There's the halfway line. There's the bench. Like reminding yourself that like you've been here before. The location is different, but you've been here before. So to have that moment and to try and visualize you feeling comfortable in that moment, I think was really important. And then the next day when all the, like you said, all the energy is there at the fans, it's like, like for me, I would just smile. Like I was just smiling. Like I would walk out before warm up. And I'm just like looking at all the supporters from different countries, loud, the lights are on. It's the big occasion. And I'm just like smiling because I'm like, wow, like this is something you've dreamed of to embrace this moment. That's the big moment before you play the game is like walking out and being like almost welcomed by the world. And I would just smile. I just had like a big smile on my face because I'm like, wow, like, you know, I did it. Like I didn't play as many games I wanted to at the World Cup, but I'm like, I'm here. This is what I wanted, you know? That was really important. I'm glad that we did that stuff. When the game, the whistle blows, it's like, it's game time and it's just another soccer game. What is the prep like? Uh, You said, you know, the 13, 14 days, however many days it is, where you really kind of hunker down and you're getting your body where it needs to be, your conditioning where it needs to be. What does that look like? How regimented are you? Luckily, because we were in so many um, national team camps leading up to the World Cup, like it's very routine. You're, you're, you're used to it. But I think the biggest thing is like your heightened awareness about how important everything is now, right? So it's like training is still training, but there's more intensity in it because you realize like the reward is so much bigger on the other side. So you don't want to leave anything up to chance. Your hydration, like probably the amount of water bottles we went through is like astonishing (laughs) (laughs) your sleep like everything is on point you know because you just don't want to like have any regrets so in that moment like i said like it's it's a normal routine but you're just putting so much more into it and like the training sessions like for me i felt like i was on a different level like of my concentration and focus like for every little detail in training i was so focused And the crazy thing is, I actually spoke about this at like a rookie symposium for the MLSPA. It was like, I worked so hard for those days, like best training mentality and best training like output I've had in a long time. And still, when I got on the field against Morocco, there was like a five to eight minute spell where I needed to like adjust to the game speed. I did everything right. And it wasn't like from from minute zero, I was like perfectly into the game. It's still, I had to adjust. So it's like, you can do everything to prepare, 
but a game is still very different. What about the psychological toll that takes of doing, you know, your body is capable of doing all these things. But like you keep saying, it's like that pressure is constantly knocking on the door of this is a different scenario that really nobody's been in since 1986. So what, yeah, what was like the psychological toll that you guys were going through? Like you specifically? It was a lot. It was a lot. And athletes, we don't speak about it as much. It's becoming a little bit more normalized to talk about the difficulties mentally of just dealing with pressure and dealing with the situation you're in, dealing with being away from home, but you still have responsibilities to take care of your family. You know, uh, for me, I was lucky enough to have added like a mental coach. So I was able to have like calls with him every week. We actually had calls maybe every two days at the World Cup. But to make sure that I had someone to like kind of vent to and speak to about, you know, things that are concerning me on a daily basis, like knowing I'm not going to play a game, whether when I know I feel I should be playing a game or having a really good training session and not feeling you're getting the, the respect from certain people, you know? So there's all these little things, but I had somewhere to put it out into, you know, and he helped me big time because then we would talk about it. We would deal with it. He would make sure I know he values, you know, my opinions and what I'm going through. And I was heard. Then we would make a plan on how to deal for the next day. So I was able to unpack everything mentally and then make a plan for the morning and just go through that cycle. And I know a lot of my teammates didn't have this, but like, I don't think I could have survived in that environment without having like a mental coach who was like fully focused on like my mental health because it's so draining and you could get very depressed by like the amount of anxiety and stress that is related to like this one tournament because it's so big. Everyone's lives or jobs depend on it, you know? So it, the psychological toll was, was, was huge. And um, I just hope that now in sports, people will talk about it a little bit more. Maybe it'll be more of like a common practice where clubs or teams have people that players can go to to just strengthen that. Because we work on our body. We strengthen our body. We do conditioning, like you're saying, all these things. But then it's like, what about like the brain and, you know, and the mental side of it? So, yeah, if I didn't have him, I don't know how I would have survived. It really is a lot. I mean, like you were saying, I mean, you know, you can be worried about like the how am I going to perform? How am I going to do this? But then you add in the idea of what if I get injured, which usually a lot of times when that becomes a thing that you're focused on, that's when you are going to get hurt. Like you you like almost will these things to happen a little bit. Um, but so smart of you to like already have that person like on your team ready to go. But I think that would be such a smart idea for like any sports club to have someone like that on staff. Have a few people like that on staff. Let's like let's get to talking. And the thing is, I think it needs to be more for the players, like by the players, because I think like the national team, like they, our national team had, I don't know what her role, her title was, but surrounding the whole mental part of the game. And there's always that feeling of maybe not being safe with this person because they are hired right. by the team. That's a really good just, point. Yeah. They tell you like everything is confidential, but you're like, like, are you going to go to the coach? So the fact that I had my own guy that he only cared about me, he didn't care about anything else other than me. So like, it was easy for me to have those conversations, but I do think teams are doing it. They just need to understand that like, maybe there's going to be some resistance at the beginning from players. 
No, that's a really good point. You're right. Yeah, you. Uh, yeah, you're like, who do you work for? <laughs> who are you talking yeah. to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's really lock this conversation up a little bit, please. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking Having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, And that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, We like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.